Welcome to Common Sense Institute's Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Megan Garn, and I'm the Director of Operations with Common Sense Institute. If you've been enjoying this content, I encourage you to subscribe to our e-newsletter, the Common Sense Digest, so you can stay up to date with important news and policy happenings. We feature our research, upcoming events, job openings, and more. You can subscribe at www.commonsenseinstitute.co.org. And now, here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright. I am chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us today. We're in the final stretch of the 2022 state legislative session, which will come to an end next Wednesday, May 11th. Several major proposed pieces of legislation remain on the table. Two of those legislative proposals deal with Colorado's largest fund deficits or imbalances, the state's unemployment insurance fund, and PARA, the state's public employees retirement system. Joining me to help understand where these two issues are, Lauren Furman, President and CEO of Colorado Chamber of Commerce, and Chris Brown, CSI's Vice President of Policy and Research. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you so much, Earl. Good to have you back, Chris. I appreciate all you do. Yeah, great to have the conversation. Thank you, Earl. Let's start with the unemployment insurance uh, trust fund first, Chris. I know we've discussed this issue together uh, before, but what is the starting point for the conversation on the unemployment insurance trust fund from your perspective? And what has changed since our last conversation several months ago? I guess where, where I start, and, and not that anyone needs a reminder necessarily of where our economy has been over the last two years, but the state's unemployment insurance trust fund, you know, truly was a lifeline for many, was, was very impactful in providing uh, unemployment insurance benefits to Coloradans, you know, through the worst part of the pandemic. The 2021 annual report from the state's unemployment insurance trust fund uh, indicated that more than $2.4 billion in regular state unemployment insurance benefits were paid out in 2020. For context, $2 billion were paid in 2009 and 2010 combined, so in the last financial crisis. Uh, about 27% or more than 851,000 Coloradans received at least one unemployment insurance benefit payment, uh, again, through, through the course of, of the pandemic. And, and as a result of depleting the state's unemployment insurance trust fund, taking on uh, more than a billion dollars in federal loans, Colorado employers face between somewhere between 4.2 and $4.4 billion in higher state and federal taxes in order to pay off the federal loan and rebuild the trust fund. You know, the, what's changed is legislation is now being debated, which look forward to that conversation here. And in some ways, the revisions we've seen in the economic forecasts have, have improved the outlook slightly, but nonetheless, employers have a pretty significant hill to climb to get this fund back in to good standing. Well, 4.4 billion is a lot of money and you're talking about employers. So I take it that that the employers are going to refurbish this fund by additional uh, 
contributions being made to it, and also a billion dollars of debt. Hmm, that's that's pretty high. How did we get that billion dollars? What happened? So yeah, so in, as a result of the, 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 this is a comparison of what four point four billion dollars is a comparison of what employers uh, are are on the hook for, uh, expected to pay over the next uh, two to four years as a result of increased state and federal taxes, again, to pay off the federal loan, to cover increased benefit payments that are that are actually higher now than they were anticipated to be in, at the end of 2019. Uh, legislation has also increased the base wage that's used to calculate the taxes, the payroll taxes employers pay. So there's a combination of factors, but but ultimately, this means uh, significantly higher taxes uh, overall uh, that has, you know, I think a pretty profound impact. Lauren, let's talk about that impact for a second, if we could. From your perspective and the perspective of your members, what is the outlook uh, for business? You know, I run a company and trying to grow it, and you're telling me that we might be having higher taxes, Chris. Um, how will we need to adopt to these pending tax increases Explain it a little bit to us, if you would, Lauren. Thanks, Harold. I appreciate the question. You know, this is one of the most prevailing concerns of the employment employer community in Colorado uh, since the pandemic. If you remember, during the pandemic, there were several decisions that were made by state and local governmental officials um, that forced the shutdown of businesses or forced them to reduce their operations significantly. The result of that were thousands and thousands of unemployment insurance claims across the state. So, of course, the outcome was a deficit in the trust fund to the tune of $1.1 billion that Chris has kind of uh, described for you. And so um, the Colorado Chamber of Commerce and several in the business community started fighting for a solution on this early, early on back in about October, November of last year. And so we have been fighting for support from the legislature uh, to backfill that trust fund to help uh, reduce that those premiums significantly. And the governor and his leadership and, and Republicans and both, both the House and Senate have been really pushing hard for funding to backfill that deficit. And believe it or not, there were folks in the majority party that did not agree uh, with finding that funding. And so we have been lobbying for several months um, to get the $600 million to backfill the trust fund, which is now being introduced in a piece of legislation known as Senate Bill 234, which was just introduced on Wednesday of last week. So in working with the Department of Labor and Employment and understanding what the benefit of this backfill would do, you know, we're hopeful that premiums don't go up significantly, if at all. The $600 million significantly helps. There's a wage base increase um, that will go up every single year through legislation that passed back in 2020. Um, the, the FUDA tax credit which is turned off right now based on the deficit, the state's deficit, that uh, should be turned on once the fund becomes solvent. And then the solvency surcharge uh, won't be turned back on until the year 2024. So we're hopeful that the fund becomes solvent by then. So all of this to say that the hopefully in talking to the Department of Labor, increased premiums will be mitigated through all of these steps. 
Okay, my self-interest is surging forth here. So I have a company and I pay into the uh, unemployment insurance fund. How much is my my uh, premium going to go up? So it just depends, Earl. Uh, every employer's premiums will depend on number of employees that they have and their experience rating. If they laid off any workers in between um, the time of, there's a certain block of time during the pandemic. It was, Chris, you'll have to uh, remind me, I believe it was May or June of 2020 through September of 2020, there would be no reflection on an employer's experience rating, meaning their premiums would not go up if they had to lay off um, any of their employees. But when doing the calculations, um, premiums without this funding would have gone up somewhere between $47 to up to $150 per worker if it's outside of that window of the reprieve. Okay, so we've got the window that you described. And it, if you're paying whatever you were paying during that period of time uh, without the pandemic taking into account, that's what you're looking If we get the 600 million that you're talking about, uh, we're not likely to have any increase in our in, on insurance premiums going forward if, you know, whatever your experience was during that period of time. Is that fair? We hope. Now, you know, <laughs> hope is not, hope is a really strong word. So in talking to the department just last week, if there is a need to avoid more premium increases through bonding, this legislation that I just described allows the department to bond and they believe they would only have to bond a small amount of money um, to make sure not only that premiums would not increase, but also that we get the, that food and tax credit back from the feds. From from my bottom line, I thank you. I think from everybody else's bottom line. So where do we stand on this uh, these proposed solutions? Uh, what's the latest on the Capitol? What's going? What's happening? So, like I said, the bill just got introduced. It just passed on Friday through the first committee of reference on a unanimous vote, four to zero, uh, bipartisan vote. It does have bipartisan sponsorship in the Senate, um, Democrat, two Democrats in the House. Um, the next step will be this morning. Uh, it passed out of the Appropriations Committee. I didn't check to see what the vote was. Uh, passed out of the Appropriations Appropriations Committee will be on the floor likely today in the Senate. I don't know whether there'll be much debate on this bill. There could be. There are some provisions uh, that the Colorado Fiscal Policy Institute wanted to add to the bill. Just like anything else, when you're working down here in the Capitol, nothing is easy. So um, the majority party wanted some provisions in this bill to satisfy some of the more left-leaning members of the majority party. Lauren, thank you for what you're doing. And what's the response of the business community? Well, the business community, you know, they went through, holy hell, a lot of those small businesses are still struggling to get their to get their businesses back up and running and to continue to operate in a healthy place. Um, you know, they want the money. That is what this is all about, is backfill this this fund as much as possible. You know, we didn't talk about this at the beginning, but this fund is only paid by employers. It is not paid through the state um, and it is only paid based on workers who are terminated or laid off through no fault of their own. So um, the fact that they had to shut down their businesses through no fault of their own, we have argued over and over again, there is no reason that this um, this should fall on businesses' shoulders to pay back the fund and the deficit. 
I must admit, uh, from my, you know, I guess, point of view in simple logic, it's kind of hard to imagine somebody being able to arbitrarily shut down your business in effect, and then all of a sudden put a surcharge on you <laughs> for shut, shutting down your business. So it seemed to me there'd be other, other you know, resolutions, particularly when you get the American Recovery Act dollars that come in. It seems to me that that money was intended for something like this. So, Lauren, thank you. There were 30 other states that also used that, that those federal dollars to backfill their unemployment insurance trust funds. Were the total or just part? Um, some did total, some did part. Okay. I was going to say. Enough to pay the total. Chris, go ahead. Well, I was going to just add to that, that when we looked at this a year ago, uh, analyzing the state of the unemployment insurance trust fund spring 2021, there were close to 20 states with an outstanding federal loan balance. We, there are now nine states. Colorado ranks sixth highest outstanding loan balance. So, you know, to Lauren's point, there were, were probably even, you know, 30 states that had taken out loans as of a year ago, close to 20, and as of today, only nine, including Colorado. So uh, other states have figured out how to pay off the federal loan in, a, in significant ways, and, and Colorado is 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 lagging, and, and really the, the threat of the federal tax increases here are are significant and, and driving this conversation now. Yeah, Chris, kind of, if you could go a little bit further on that, what are the main differences between the latest proposal and the bill that was introduced earlier in the session by Senator Woodward to address the UI trust fund balance? And I'm not trying to advocate for one or the other. Just what's the difference? Yeah, so the governor originally indicated a $600 million transfer in his budget request last November, and that's the dollar amount we have in this bill. However, as you indicated, there was a, and still is a bill uh, that uh, is has been introduced, has not been up for discussion yet, that suggested and indicated that, proposed to transfer $1.1 billion to to the unemployment insurance trust fund. So the largest difference really is how quickly that fund balance would recover. But I will say what's what's really fascinating, we just kind of wrapped up some of this modeling uh, to look at the latest proposal. And as Lauren indicated in her conversations with the, with the department, the state department that monitors and, and administers the, the fund, because the economic forecasts have improved, the fund balance and the amount of contributions coming into the fund have improved to where what we now estimate is that this $600 million transfer would be uh, sufficient. It's kind of razor thin, but would be sufficient to, uh, to help pay off the federal loan prior to the, uh, the federal tax increases kicking in. So the, the latest proposal we estimate to save employers $845 million over the next four years. And that includes, again, lower state taxes, reduced federal taxes, and as the bill would uh, propose, no surcharge in FY23, which is about $123 million savings just next year. So 
given the the outlook for the trust fund has improved since the uh, you know the, the start of the legislative session and where we are now with this March forecast, this proposal actually achieves a lot of what the 1.1 billion dollar transfer originally uh, had had recommended. So there's a, there's some other nuance there, as Lauren said. The the other provisions that are important to consider are. Uh, continuations of benefit increases that were made during the pandemic that were part of the state program during the pandemic and advocates have said we want to continue those provisions and those include uh, the allowance for receiving benefits if you are still working part-time as smaller reduced benefits but nonetheless eligible for benefits of working part-time there's an additional fund that would be set up to uh, pay, allow for undocumented workers to receive benefits if funds are collected on their behalf. Uh, there is a, a new fund mechanism set up to allow them to collect uh, benefits. And, and so there's some, again, changes on the benefit side, but I think the biggest difference in the impact to employers is really how the fund has changed because of the economic underlying projections and fund solvency that have made it so that $600 million could be a magic number to uh, remove the federal uh, tax increase, eliminate the surcharge, and still get the fund into a pretty good place over the next couple of years, barring barring any uh, economic downturn, which uh, is always a point of uncertainty. Lauren, I have two questions for you before I know you have to run off to the legislative yeah. session. Uh, yeah. the, first the first question I have is, Chris sounds pretty optimistic with regards to uh, the, the fund receiving additional uh, monies from folks like ourselves that pay into it because of the, uh, uh, the economy doing well. But many of us see the economy kind of uh, slacking off here. Um, and <clears throat> I guess the question I have, the first question is, if the economy slacks off, could this uh, could the outlook change that uh, that you all have uh, at the current time? And I appreciate the question. And um, Earl, what is happening is because of some legislation that passed in 2020 regarding a wage base increase. That wage base increase went from I believe it was ten thousand dollars to twelve thousand dollars, and will continue to go up. Um, every year. And what that is doing, regardless of the economics of the state or, or um, the nation, employers are still going to have to pay premiums based on that higher wage base. So that is dumping more and more money into the trust fund every year because it, and in fact, we even raised to, uh, to the sponsor of that bill at some point there has to be a cap because the trust fund will exceed the amount that's needed to pay back those those claims and there is a cap so but that wage base is going to go up to about $24,000 so it's just continually going to the fund is going to continually grow based on that legislative change okay um where do you see the bill going from here how do you see the progress with regards to your what's what uh the Senate bill suggests? The Senate bill 66 is going to die. Um, that'll probably die today. I believe it's up in committee this afternoon. Um, they've been holding that bill until there was a deal cut on Senate bill 234. 
Senate Bill 234 will be the package bill that will move forward. So I do see it getting through both chambers. Honestly, uh, a lot has to do with the um, the election coming up in November. I don't think that there are going to be folks in the majority party that want to be accused of not supporting small any kind of businesses. Um, and so this this money is really important when it comes to an election year. Well, I hope you're absolutely correct um, and uh, <laughs> that we get this passed. And, and I'm being relatively selfish. And I also think uh, I'm speaking for a lot of people that are out in the business community. Thank Lauren, you. thank you. I know you have to, thank you have to you. leave to your next uh, you know, follow up on a lot that you're doing. And thank yeah. you so much for what you're doing in thank the state you. chamber. So much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you're you welcome. so much for the opportunity to be here today and talk with both of you. I appreciate it very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye now. Bye now. Uh, Chris, let's go turn this over to uh, Para, if we could, for a second. Despite major reforms to Para in 2018, it was intended to set Para on a path of being fully funded. We find ourselves in yet another situation where a significant legislative fix is being proposed. Uh, give us an explanation of what's on the table and why. I think the segue in the for listeners to to understand these, you know, talking about the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund now, talking about Para. I think these are the two, by my rough back of the napkin calculation, if anyone has sees it differently, let me know. But I think these are the two largest fund deficits our state faces. Para has a $31 billion uh, unfunded liability, meaning the amount that the fund, that, that Para estimates are needed to make payments for current benefits against what they have in assets, sort of has a deficit of $31 billion over time. And, you know, why we're, we're talking about this now is since SB 200, this is again, rewind to 2018, this was pretty significant legislation that uh, proposed pretty, pretty drastic changes to the contribution increases, some changes on the benefit side, and an automatic adjustment mechanism to the annual contribution. It was supposed to keep Hera on a on a glide path, an amortization period of 30 years. But in the interim, in just the two years following the passage of SB 200, two so two of the allowable four automatic adjustments have been triggered by a declining funding level. And that is uh, due to several things. And this is, again, prior to uh, this is, you know, the pandemic employment uh, returns have held up. But there have been some other adjustments to the fund that have caused this to trigger two of the allowable four automatic increases. And so that in combination with the state choosing to forego and not make a $225 million payment or direct distribution to PARA in July of 2020, which was again required out of SB 200, um, which added about $993 million or nearly a billion dollars in unfunded liability. We now are uh, discussing this again as, as there is a piece of legislation proposing to make up for that missed payment plus interest. So it would be $303 million transfer to PARA to help shore up the fund, lower the risk to taxpayers and employees. It's kind of just 
another sort of situation where uh, while there are always competing interests for state dollars, uh, as you incrementally make decisions to forego and payments to para and miss what is actually uh, needed to keep the fund solvent, we, we put further and, and greater and greater risk on complications and higher costs down the line. Uh, and so I, I could keep rambling on, but I, I know that you actually, so Earl, you actually participated in the pension review subcommittee during the interim last year that was stood up to, to look at this issue among many others. And the bill uh, being proposed here is actually a direct result of recommendations that came out of that subcommittee. So I'd really be you know, interested in actually hearing your take on this proposal and what's what's the value and why is this why is this uh, occurring? Yeah, well, let me make a quick summary of a couple of points you made. 2018 uh, was the uh, Senate Bill uh, 18-200. And that was, as you said, supposedly going to solve the problems by $225 million per year being contributed into the fund to help with the at that time, it was a $50 billion deficit, unfunded deficit in 2018. And by putting that additional money and that commitment in, uh, as well as they had an incredibly good return on their investments during the pandemic, and they had uh, that two-year period of time, about a 20% plus return, which anybody would have been happy with. So Para has been managing the assets well, but then the pandemic, the pandemic came and one other thing happened was that actuarially everybody, the participants are living longer uh, and living longer and they're healthier. And so the stress on the fund because of living longer and healthier has resulted in it being underfunded. But if you take the 225 per year, it would be only underfunded by about 30, 30 billion um, if that 225 per year was made. Well, because of the pandemic and the and constraints and budgetary process in the state of Colorado and you have to have a balanced budget. They decided to balance the budget by not making that 225 contribution in 20 in 2020. Well that's in turn contributed to the the uh, we were down to 27 or thereabouts in the way of unfunded uh, liability and now we're back up to 30 30 uh, billion. And so HP uh, uh, 22-1029 which I was a participant in helping structure that through the uh, the uh, committee for pension reform this summer would reduce that by about 1 billion, actually be about 1.3 if you take into account restoring the lost earnings also. So it's a significant reduction from 30 billion down by 1.1 to 1.3 billion if this bill is passed as it's being presented. As you can probably gather, I'm personally a, a strong supporter of it. Uh, and I've learned that there's a huge amount of support for it. Uh, and I also understand that the governor has some other ideas as to what he would like to do uh, in, in handling this. But the beauty of, of what's being proposed by uh, Representative Byrd, of whom is an absolute delight to work with, and she's a Democrat, and it's a bipartisan bill, Chris. Not often that you see something come out of the House with bipartisan support on both sides. But, uh, you know, a bird in the hand, you can get the money right now, put it to work, and we have a significant advantage versus delaying uh, to make future payments uh, uh, to try to make up for the 225 by future years, which is what's being uh, considered as a counterproposal. 
But uh, the problem is you have to have legislation oftentimes in future years to continue to support uh, you know, future payments. And I don't know if that's going to be a part of what is going to be suggested as a, as a uh, alternative. But I'm a believer a bird in the hand, and that's what HB uh, 22-1029 does. And uh, I, I feel that we have a chance here to right the ship, and that's what this legislation does. Yeah, it's certainly a tough, you know, a tough pill to swallow in some regards, but it it's it is critical for the long term outlook. It, you know, it's 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 a it's interesting. You know, in 2018, we were having these discussions, and we put out quite a bit of work around the impact. and And I think we noted at the time the challenge that putting this payment and this direct distribution in the general fund would 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 cause, as it would now be debated. But this is a huge piece of the solvency question for PARA. And you got to meet your commitments, Chris. It doesn't work. Bottom bottom line. The 2018 was put together to solve the issue and to get us fully funded by by 2048. You can't just stop and go, stop and go, and expect to win a a race in the the Indianapolis 500. It doesn't work. (laughs) And... uh, so we can't, we got to make our, make our commitments, live up to them and continue to do it. And I think the state will be okay. We've come up with a solution. I hope that uh, this piece of legislation that Representative Byrd and bipartisan Poot have, uh, Byrd have submitted now in front of the Senate uh, will pass. Uh, and if somebody else has a better idea, we'll come up with a better idea. But right now, the one that works, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh, I hope that we would work hard to get passed is... Uh, is is representative birds are there any is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners today chris no just you know again nine at, at time of our conversation uh we have about nine days uh left so the legislature will adjourn next wednesday i think it's the the 11th so there's a lot left that needs to be accomplished these are two critical issues that we've looked at and studied and analyzed and 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 talked about in, in, in these settings and through our research, but there's a lot of else, uh, a lot of other issues on the table as well. So for those plugged in and interested, uh, stay tuned. It'll be interesting to see what, you know, kind of finally makes it across the finish line and what doesn't. And for those that are interested in uh, HP uh, uh, 20, uh, 2022 or 22-1029 and supporting it, uh, I really encourage you to call the leadership of the Senate and tell them uh, that you are supporting it. It's a relatively simple piece of legislation. It's only a page and a half. And you can pull it up and read it. It's very clear. It just says simply, hey, let's let's pay back, but let's make the payment we didn't make in 2020 for good reasons. I understand that. But we have clearly, clearly, there's more money stashed away at the uh, the state government than, than you can imagine that could be available to make this payment. Chris, thanks. We've got an interesting uh, week and a half in front of us. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Earl. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.